Hello, Barry Winbolt here. Welcome to this edition of Get a Better Handle on Life. And today's topic is sleep. There have been some alarming statistics floating about lately. The World Health Organization has pointed to a, a global epidemic of sleeplessness and I've been seeing surveys that say anything between 40 and 80% of people don't sleep too well. If you want the source of that, by the way, uh, the Phillips survey, which was published in 2019, and things have certainly got worse since then, said that 44% of adults surveyed globally admit their sleep has worsened recently in the last five years, and eight in 10 adults, that's 80%, of adults worldwide want to improve the quality of their sleep. But the majority of them, 60%, have done nothing about it. So I thought it would be good to look at this in a little more detail, and I'm very fortunate to have independent sleep expert Neil Stanley, or Dr. Neil Stanley, to give him his full title, to help me take a look at this question. So stick around, and particularly if you have trouble sleeping, of course, we'll also cover some of the ideas that Dr. Stanley has about improving sleep. So, good morning, and uh, well, it's morning where we are, isn't it, in the UK? Uh, Neil, um, thanks for giving me the time. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. And one of the things that prompted um, a line of thought in me was this thing that the uh, bulletin that the uh, World Health Organization put out some time ago describing sleep paucity or lack of sleep as a, as a worldwide sleep epidemic. Um, I wonder what your reaction is to that statement. I, I think uh, there's issues with that statement. And to, to, to describe sleep, which is a natural biological process that we all do every single night, uh, as an epidemic, or the fact that we're not sleeping as an epidemic, I think is, is, is rather foolish because that equates it with other illnesses uh, that, that are actually physical illnesses rather than a biological process. And I think it does it an injustice because what it does is cause people to be anxious uh, about their sleep or the, the consequences of poor sleep. And that anxiety can indeed in itself lead to poor sleep. Um, and this is something that I've noticed. I mean, I've been a sleep expert for 40 years and I've noticed it happening in about the last five to 10 years of this creation of this anxiety about sleep, that we're not sleeping, and this is a terrible thing. And it's frankly not true. I mean, the, the group at Oxford uh, University uh, two years ago published a paper showing that in the UK, we are sleeping longer now than we did in 1974. Now, for the listeners who weren't in Britain in 1974, we had three channels of television. Late night shopping was six o'clock on a Thursday night. Pubs closed at 10.30. We didn't have the internet, tablets, mobile phones, and yet we're sleeping more than we did then. Seemingly, the information that we're actually sleeping pretty well, to be honest, uh, is, is being hidden. 
Yes, and it's the pathologization of everything, isn't it, that that seems to be a trend. I recently wrote, read that they want to, or they have successfully in psychiatry, apparently made moves to say that grieving is is now a medical condition. I mean, I don't want to go down that route today, but it's an interesting point that once experts get hold of something, it can quite quickly, as you say, raise anxieties about things. It's true, nevertheless, I'm sure you do in your work and I do in my work, that some people do not sleep well. Oh, absolutely. Um, but a lot of that, as I, as I mentioned in, in what I just said, is anxiety. It's yeah. fear. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the number one best-selling sleep book uh, that came out a few years ago spends its entire document telling you that you'll die or go mad if you don't get a good night's sleep. So we now have an expectation. We now have wearables that are making people compare themselves against a hy hypothetical perfect sleep, which is uh, which yes. is eight hours, which has never been recommended by anybody. But the minute you your wearable says you're not getting eight hours sleep. That's it. You've got a sleep problem. You're failing. And the minute you go to bed thinking, I'm not going to get a good night's sleep tonight, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're not going to get a good night's sleep. Absolutely. And in fact, I spend a lot of my work when I do work um, occasionally with people with sleep-related problems, well, increasingly uh, regularly lately, but when that has happened, I spend most of my time alleviating, alleviating anxiety and challenging myths rather than any particular intervention. And that in itself starts people on the road to um, better sleep. Absolutely. And this is the thing. We have been doing sleep as long as we've been humans. I mean, basically... Yeah. Sleep is a biological phenomenon. It's a necessity. It's like breathing, drinking, eating. We never had a problem in the past because we did it naturally. We didn't think about it. We just did it. Mm. Uh, and what is interesting is if you look at, look at the history, um, Aristotle wrote about sleep, but then nobody wrote about sleep for you know, the next 2,000 years until uh, around the time of Shakespeare and that, when it was sort of alluded to poetically. But the actual sleep crisis, for want of a better word, that we are supposedly experiencing, came around in about the 1970s, 1980s. As I say, I started working in the field of sleep in 1982. And at the point, there was literally one book that was available about sleep to the general public, Alex Borbay's Secret of Sleep. Um, now, I mean, my collection of sleep books, my personal collection is well over two and a half thousand books um, on sleep, let alone all the ones I can't afford to buy. So we've created this, this idea that we're not sleeping. And as I say, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, that's not to say that people aren't sleeping, but what I'm saying is for the vast majority of people who aren't sleeping, the solution is in their hands. It is not something that you need to buy a supplement or a bath soak or a 600-pound sleep robot or any other of the things that people are trying to sell you. Most of what people need to do is something they can do themselves. It's just that they don't, for some reason, have the motivation to do it. So you've set it up very nicely and very powerfully there. So we accept that a certain number of people believe they are 
uh, not able to sleep well, and that helps to make actually the sleep problem, in inverted commas, more of a problem for them, partly induced by their own anxiety. But whatever the causes and whatever people's beliefs, people present themselves wanting solutions, of course, and it's not nice being tired. So in terms of practical things that people can do, you say it's a natural process, we, we're all born to sleep, I totally agree with this, and uh, if we don't get in the way of it, it'll, it'll work very well, thank you very much. But something is getting in the way for some people, so what is the solution or other solutions that you've mentioned? What could some of the solutions be? Well, I mean, the thing that's getting in the way for most people is very simply life. Uh, sleep in the past used to be an end in itself. It was a good thing. It was something to look forward to. Now sleep becomes the thing that you do at the end of the night after you've done all the exciting things like binge watching uh, streaming services or watching funny cat videos. And so sleep isn't treasured. Uh, I mean, when people say, you know, what are your solutions sleep? Really, the first solution is think that sleep is important. If you don't think that sleep is important, you're never going to do the behaviours that you need to do in order to get a good night's sleep. Right. But as you say, so there are millions of sleep tips out there. They all actually just fall into three categories. You only need three things for a good night's sleep. One is a bedroom conducive to sleep. So dark, quiet, cool, comfortable. Yeah. Second one, a relaxed body. If you're tense, if you're in pain or whatever, that will be a problem. And then the third, which is probably the absolute prerequisite for sleep, is a quiet mind. Mm. You can be physically exhausted, get into bed and you can't sleep. Why? Because your mind is racing. You're worried, you're stressed, you're anxious, you're ruminating about things. And that is the problem. So you need to have a quiet mind. Now, you might say, well, how do you achieve a quiet mind? Well, the obvious answer is I have no idea. It's down to you as an individual. But you have to put your cares and worries of the day to bed long before you actually get into bed. So whether that's drinking chamomile tea, doing yoga, practicing mindfulness meditation, listening to Pink Floyd really loudly, I don't care what you do as long as you do something. And that's the bit that we're missing because most people's bedtime routine is to switch their device off, go to the bathroom, brush their teeth, flop into bed, you know, sleep, take me. And frankly, sleep isn't interested. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then people go, oh, I'm not falling asleep immediately. Well, you, no one's meant to fall asleep immediately. Anybody who promises you to fall asleep in two minutes, that's completely unnatural. It should take you 12 to 15 minutes to fall asleep. But if you have a relaxed body, a quiet mind and nothing in the environment to disturb you, all things being equal, you will fall asleep. Yes, and indeed, that, that is what I get in my work. In fact, I was talking about it just uh, the end of last week to somebody. Um, yes, but how do I quiet my mind? How do I still my mind? How do I stop the rumination? How do I stop my mind turning over? And it's absolutely, uh, and, and of course, that's where people like me come in, because I have some techniques for that. But they're not rocket science. They are natural things. And one of the things I said to this chap last week was, well, look, 
you know, you're an intelligent guy, you've got a very busy, demanding job, apart from the obvious stuff of winding down and preparing for sleep and treating sleep and regular bedtime and all of those things, treating sleep as important rather than a nuisance that's getting in the way of other things. Um, what about giving your mind something to do as you fall asleep? If it's not going to behave, you've got to train it to behave, is, is basically the way I put it. And that's where some of these little techniques come in, like obviously the obvious one is counting sheep, which doesn't work very well, but there are some, some breathing techniques and there are other techniques which I... I mean, it's even too much to call them technique. You know, it's uh, it, think about something you want to think about rather than something you don't want to think about. Exactly. And, you know, in, in uh, psychology, whatever, you know, thought blocking. So subtracting seven from a thousand sequentially or going through the alphabet, naming an animal, beginning with each letter of the alphabet. My favourite one from years ago is list alphabetically all the operas you've seen. Uh, it probably that's isn't a, that's a very that highbrow sort of sleep technique, isn't it? <laughs> But, I mean, the, the other thing is, as you say, think about something that you want to think about. We know how to relax. I mean, one of the questions that you should ask somebody with a supposed sleep problem is, how do you sleep when you're on holiday? Because most of them will say, I sleep perfectly well. Well, then you don't have a sleep problem. Something in your daily life is getting in the way, whether it be a high-powered job or whatever. Absolutely. But there is no fault of sleep. You're just erecting a barrier yep. to getting to sleep because you're not winding down. I mean, I'm 57, and you know, in the in the 70s and 80s, you know, the, the, the sitcoms on TV, the the businessman who would literally come home late at night in his squash gear. <laughs> and flop into bed well of course that's not going to be good for you luckily we've we've perhaps replaced that way of living but we have instilled something else and we're guilty because we do get suckered into social media yeah but also the social media companies are guilty because they have made their presentation to be addictive to suck us in you know, one of the major streaming companies reduced the amount of time between episodes deliberately so you would binge watch. There was not enough time to cognitively think, oh, I should go to bed. Right. Before the next episode. And then you thought, oh, well, I might as well watch it. And then you might. And then so suddenly it's three o'clock in the morning. So, of course, these people are selling advertising. So they need you to watch, but it's our personal responsibility as an adult to disengage from that. Listening to you now, it's it becomes clear to me that actually taking the main points you've mentioned about treating sleep as a an important factor in life rather than a nuisance or a, an also ran or something you have to do uh, when when there are actually more exciting things going on in your mind. Um, so first of all, uh, prioritise it, give it its space, keep bedtimes regular, you know, do all the, all the common sense things which people can get advice from all sorts of sources. So having done that, you've got it clear in your mind that sleep is important to you, and then you treat it like any other regime in your life for something which is important, whether it's athletics or, or passing an exam or, you know, you've got to do your revision, you've got to do your preparation, and then you clear the space and you devote yourself to it entirely without distractions. And for those people who say, well, my mind won't quieten down, then there are routines one can go through in the evening to help that process. 
Does that sound like a, a fair summary? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you see sleep as 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 a joy, and I, I do, I mean, I literally, I mean, this might sound sad, but I wake up in the morning and I'm all nice and comfortable, and I think I'm going to go back to bed tonight. Yeah, you know, I, I, <laughs> as long as I survive the day. Well, maybe, maybe Neil, maybe it's an age thing because I'm a bit older than <laughs> you, but but I sometimes even think, oh, this is so nice, but I console myself with the thought that. Well, if I have some time this afternoon, I'll take a nap. I'll have a siesta. Exactly. And that's the thing. You know, there is, there's been so much propaganda about the benefits of short sleepers, the CEOs who don't sleep a lot, the geniuses who don't sleep a lot. And this is all just propaganda put out by them to make them sound better than you. Exactly. And so there's yeah, this yeah. idea, you know, sleep's for wimps. It's a waste of time. I'll sleep when I'm dead. And then we suddenly get Margaret Thatcher only slept four hours. No evidence of that at all. And we've been suckered into this, that sleep is a weakness. If I said to you now, I eat my five a day and I run 10 kilometers a day, you'd go, well done, good for you. If I say I go to bed around nine o'clock and sleep for nine and a half hours every night, you say, you're a sad person with no friends. Yeah, well, actually, I wouldn't say that, but I know what you mean. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because thinking about it now, and this is a whole other tangent, but thinking about it now, there's this notion in life that if you're alone, you're somehow not doing okay in life. You've got to have loads of friends. You've got to be very active. You've got to be doing stuff. Um, actually, solitude and thinking are very important parts of life, and and so is sleep, and and they're not entirely unconnected either. So we have to challenge our own the myths that we've, as you say, get got suckered into, and and make up our own rules for ourselves based on what is known. Well, absolutely, and and you know the thing is, in the past, you know when we had uh, linear television. You, you you saw an episode of your favourite soap opera, there was a cliffhanger, and the next week you had to watch it again. There was no way of missing that. In the in the 80s, you know, soap operas were getting 20 million viewers. Yeah. So the next day there would be, you know, the water cooler moment where you were discussing, did you see? Now that doesn't happen. So the idea of the fear of missing out would have been useful 40 years ago, but now nobody is watching the same TV channels. It's all there tomorrow. So, you know, people say, oh, you know, you go to bed at nine o'clock. Yes. And then if there's something on at 10 o'clock, I'll set the recorder to record it and I can watch it the next day. It's not as though I have to be party to all of the conversation the next day. Because as I say, if you say to somebody, did you see the programme? The answer is almost certainly no, they didn't because there's so much choice. And this is what we've, we've, we've got it backwards. There was such a thing as fear of missing out. Now, what we're missing out on is funny cat videos. And, and we all like them, but it's not making you a better person. Where is sleep? Well, <laughs> well and also the point, the point that's implicit in this is that actually it is all there tomorrow. You know, we don't have uh, the, uh, the example you've given of stuff being there in the 80s and, you know, waiting a week, which, yes, of course, I understand that. Um, and 
actually, we now have the choice. We can stay up past our planned bedtime. Mine's 10 o'clock. You know, I go to bed every night, 10 o'clock. And sometimes we've had a really tough day, and we have lately because we've had some stuff going on in the family that's been very demanding. And by 9.30 or 9 o'clock, we say, oh, let's go to bed. You know, this is because it's a refuge. It's a time of recovery. It's a time of sleep and enjoyment and looking forward to waking up fresh the next day. But what we miss, in inverted commas, through going to bed early, is going to be there tomorrow anyway, because they're all on streaming services. So if that is important to me, uh, personally, I, you know, well, we all know enough has been said about social media and the, and the, and the damage it, it's doing to people. And I have had clients who have a serious addiction problem uh, to a point where they're unable to go to sleep or they suddenly find that it's three in the morning. Um, and then, and, you know, I've said to them, well, you know, start by leaving your phone outside the room. Shock, horror, this cannot happen. And they come up with all sorts of excuses. Oh, I'll use my phone for an alarm clock. Well, if you're sleeping properly, you won't need an alarm clock. How about that? And if you're really scared that you won't wake up, buy a proper alarm clock. You don't need a digital device. You're telling me you've got a problem. You're telling me social media is impinging on your life to a point where you can't control it. Then take control and do something about it. Don't make excuses. Well, this is this is the thing that has changed because if you look back through history, we've always had a reason to forego our sleep. In in the in the seventeenth century, you know, cards uh, became an important thing. People started gambling and that sort of thing. And then we uh, more recently we had television. Uh, was the you know, was the end of society in the fifties and sixties? Television, and then in the eighties, it was video games. You know, young men are playing video games late into the night, and they were all shocking in in, in their way. But the difference is now is the ubiquity. Everybody has a device. Everybody has a tablet, a laptop, a mobile phone. If you have the mobile phone as the alarm clock, it's next to your bed. If it's next to your bed, it's a temptation. If it's a temptation, you're going to yeah. pick it up. Yeah. And if it's not there, as you, as you said about uh, the people you work with, if it's not there, they feel disconnected. They're anxious about being deprived of their mobile phone. And again, anxiety Whatever word you want to use is an enemy of sleep. It can't be anything but because your mind is racing. You know, if you're worried that there might have been an alarm or there might have been a missed phone call or whatever, you're going to be cognitively attending to that phone. Whereas what you want to be is disengaged from your environment. That's the whole point of sleep is to be in a safe and secure place where you can relax. If you're not relaxed, then it's never going to happen because you're always going to have that high stress, high alert, fight or flight response, which is the last thing you need when you're lying in bed. So in a way, we're back to where we came in, which is um, taking control, a degree of self-discipline, controlling your environment and figuring out what it is you need to get a good night's sleep. Uh, a sort of a, You mentioned three aspects earlier. Could we summarise with those? Yeah, I mean, the three aspects you need for sleep, and as I say, every other sleep tip, whatever it is, falls into one of these three categories. One is a bedroom conducive to sleep. So it's got to be dark, it's got to be quiet, it's got to be comfortable, it's got to be cool. There's going to need to be no 
nothing in the environment, either within the room or outside of the room, that disturbs your sleep or causes you anxiety. So that's number one. Number two is a relaxed body. And that can, because people think that being tired, as in physically tired, is the same as sleep. It's not. Being tired is just being exhausted physically. But you need that. You need to be relaxed. You need to be, you, you know, there needs to be nothing in the body that's keeping you awake, whether that be a, a, an itch or pain or whatever. And then thirdly, which is the most important one, and the one that we struggle with as a society because of the social media we've been talking about is the quiet mind you your the sleep is of the brain and for the brain the only bit of the body that must have sleep is the brain so you have to allow the brain to sleep and that means it needs to be not working and of course it will keep your body and your, your brain working but it can't be thinking about something important because that's just awake behavior. Solving problems, et cetera, is awake behavior. You need to quieten your mind however that works. Listening to music, reading, whatever works for you, you know how to relax, just take the time to relax. And, um, you know, if you put your mind and body in the position for sleep, sleep will happen. And that was that Robert McNeish writing back in 1830 said that the mind and body need to be in the position for sleep and then you will sleep. For most, the vast majority of people, it is as simple as that. It's a very useful summary and a very useful reminder. And I get your passion and, and also a level of frustration, really, because of what we're dealing with in society, I assume, you know, and the, and the false beliefs and the myths and the uh, not, not, notwithstanding also the very real worldwide problems and stuff that we're facing. But we don't need to take those to bed with us. And one of the things I would I'd like to throw in just at this point um, is that we... You know, you don't need to watch the news at 10 o'clock at night because with all of the terrible stuff going on, and for for that matter, horror movies and stuff like that, you know, anything that arouses you and alarms you, even if it's, uh, in inverted commas, fun, uh, is not a great activity just before you go to bed, is it? Exactly. And when I've always said, you know, if you, if you just watch The Exorcist, don't expect to fall asleep easily. You know, it, it, it's just it's just obvious in my in my view. And and this is it. You know, in the past we didn't consume news in the way we did. Um, you know, we didn't care about the world because when we read the newspaper, it had happened two weeks ago. Well, also, isn't it also that news has now become entertainment? I mean, that's that's a particularly alarming trait. You know, as, during the pandemic, it became very obvious on the local news. We no longer watch the news in this house on TV as a, as a result of the pandemic, um, ever. I mean, we just don't. We, we, we'll, if it's important, we'll find out about it, you know. But the, the idea that you have to have heartstrings, sort of human interest stories interjected into the news. Exactly. They're never happy ones to engage us and to drag us in. And that's why we have to find something that is, is alternative. This is to say, I, I read every night before bed, but it is that escape. It is, it is being able to read something that isn't immediate, isn't tugging at the heartstrings, isn't horrific in any way. It, it's just yeah. a good story. And, and you know, the, the, the idea of the good story, well, we've been reading bedtime stories to kids 
and singing lullabies to them for the last thousand years. Well, also, you know, there's something in that, very importantly in that, in that many of us had bedtime stories read to us. So we are actually able to tap back into that. If we were fortunate enough to have parents who read to us before or anybody else, somebody who read to us at bedtime, then, of course, that habit is in there somewhere. And perhaps we can re-tap into that. And also, the, you know, the other thing was not just the reading, but their presence in the room. That made you feel, as a child, feel, feel safe and secure. You were being protected. Your, your parents were there. Because let's be honest, we are all afraid of the dark. You, you, know, if, you know, if I'm on my own in the house and I watch something scary on telly, Every single light is on in the house <laughs> and a torch. Just yeah, you case. heard it here, folks. This is world-famous sleep expert telling you how it is. This is really real life here. So thank you very much for sharing that with us, Neil. And, and you know, so so we, we have that fear of the dark. And, and it's innate because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, how do I get my child to sleep? Well, it's very simple. Do what your parents or your grandparents did because it worked, because it was a thousand, you know, thousands of years of history, which is make the child feel safe and secure, comfort it mentally with, with stories. But And that works with adults too, I guess, comforting ourselves mentally. To say reading um, just blocks it. Listening to music can block the day out. And what kind of music? Soothing music? Do you have any particular recommendations? It doesn't matter. There's no such thing as music that helps you sleep. There's music. There's music you like and there's music you don't like. So the piece of music that helps you sleep is the piece of music you don't have to listen to. So for me, there are certain albums that I know come backwards. I know every note, every word, and those are the ones that I can sleep with. Now, some of them are what would be called heavy rock. And people say, well, you can't fall asleep. It has to be classical and follow these waveforms. No, it doesn't. Because if I listen to, you know, Shostakovich, I'm lying there going, what is this? What's going to happen next? Do I like this? I'm engaged with it. Whereas an album I know backwards, I don't have to engage. So my brain can switch off, go, I like this, I can fall asleep. So, you know, somebody's saying, oh, buy this because it's the exact frequency of whale song. You know, that's not normal. So find the thing that relaxes your mind, whatever it is. And don't let anybody tell you that it's wrong. If you are sleeping well, don't change anything. Yeah, it's not a problem. If you aren't sleeping well... Look at the easy things. What is disturbing my body or my brain? That's the thing. If I can't fix it, that's where people like you come in. But if you can fix it, then do it. But even, but Neil, even even when people like me come in, we're really only saying what you're saying, which is common sense stuff. And if I say anything, you know, if I have a, a platform or a soapbox issue is, look, it's worked for our ancestors through millennia. So whatever they were doing will work for us as well. The one thing you know as a human being is you're designed to sleep. So if you're not sleeping, something's getting in the way. So coming back to your three points, I really like the, the down to earth common sense. You're designed to sleep. 
if something's stopping you, remove what's stopping you, do a couple of other things so you prepare yourself for sleep and you will sleep. Yeah, and, and you know, this, this is not in any way to, to dismiss the fact that some people have medical conditions like pain or Parkinson's or MS or whatever that disturb sleep and, and, and that, that they're taken as read, that they exist and they need medical help. But even in those people, there are things that they can do to help sleep. That is interesting, the point that even with pre-existing conditions, there's still something you can do. You can't alleviate the condition, perhaps, but you can improve some of the things around it, and in this case, sleep. And I find that quite often people who have, uh, inverted commas, a reason, as they see it, for not sleeping well, sometimes don't look any further. And I think that there's this, this passiveness. It even happens in healthy people. As we get older, you know, I'm 57. What can I expect? The sleep's not great, but, you know, I'm getting older. So, and that's a very defeatist attitude because whilst there are some changes that occur with age, many of the changes that occur with age are things that can now be successfully treated or addressed by a clinician. But as I say, we, we seem to have accepted the fact that we're going to go through life a bit sleepy and a bit miserable. Uh, and yet we spend our life trying to not be that. So we take multivitamins, we, we go jogging, we go to the gym, we, we go to spas, we have half a bottle of wine on a Friday night trying to achieve something, whereas actually the thing that would do that for us, i.e. getting a good night's sleep, is seen as is seen as a talk, you know, going back to what we said earlier, some sort of failing that we we are weak, we need sleep. It's a strange thing that something that is so powerful is something that is that we, we, we think of last in the hierarchy of what we're going to do for ourselves. I think that's a really important point isn't it? Probably a lot of those ideas come from family beliefs or how we're treated as children. Or for example, I've always said to parents, don't ever treat bedtime as a punishment. You know, because if you do, you're making a rod for your own back because your child is going to start resisting bedtime. And of course, as parents, that's the last thing we want. The little We want the little darlings to go to bed as early as possible so we can get some peace. So those are very important factors that come with us through our societal beliefs and all of that sort of thing. You know, I mean, we're actually on the, very much on the same page with it with regard to how natural sleep is a natural function. Just don't get in the way of it. You know, prepare the terrain and prepare yourself, and and you will sleep. But also get rid of some of those misconceptions that you carry around with you, for example, ageing and, oh, well, you don't sleep as much as when you get older. Well, you do, actually. And if you're lucky, you get a chance to sleep a bit more because you haven't got to get up and go to work. Um, so so there are lots of benefits of ageing, which I think people often forget. Well, look, I've really enjoyed speaking to you just to remind people that they can get a lot more of your information via the Live More app, of which more later. Um, but for now, I'd just like to thank you very much for your time and say what a, a refreshing and I hope for, for the listeners empowering conversation it is. Because the message is, we all know how to sleep. It is possible. It is within your grasp. And do the right things and you will sleep. So, Neil, thank you so much for talking to me today. I've really enjoyed the conversation and it looks like we have a lot more to talk about. For example, 
alcohol, we haven't discussed that, or stimulants, or some of those self-administered substances that people might use, which uh, also interfere with sleep. So I'd like to come back to this at some later date. Um, in the meantime, I'll just say thank you so much for your time and your wisdom, and um, I look forward to catching up in the future. Thank you very much, Brad. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. So that's it for me for this episode. And I mentioned uh, the Live More app where you can find more from Neil and indeed from me as well, because I'm one of their contributors. By the way, Live More don't sponsor this podcast, but I'm always happy to give them a plug because I believe they're doing a really good job. I'll put the link in the episode notes. Thanks for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support this podcast, I'm not going to ask you for money, but please share it with others, post it on social media or spread it around in any appropriate way. You can catch up on the latest from me on a number of social platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, and there's one link that will take you to all my sites, uh, platforms and everything. I'll put that in the notes as well. And if you've got anything to say to me, please email me at info at Thank you very much for your attention. And I hope you'll join me again soon. All the best.
Hello, Barry Winbolt here. Welcome to the latest episode of Get a Better Handle on Life. Today I'm talking to Neil Stanley, Dr. Neil Stanley, to give him his full title. Uh, he's an independent sleep expert, and as you may or may not know, I'm pretty interested in sleep. I enjoy doing it quite a lot myself. I've also got a, a sleep course on my uh I've also published a sleep course and various other bits and pieces. But my main concern is that as a th practicing therapist, I see people who are troubled by sleep or lack of it more to the point. And I thought it'd be really interesting to speak to somebody who really knows their subject. Neil's been researching sleep for something like 40, over 40 years now. So he really knows his subject in a way that I could never, ever do in the, in the time that I've been so he really knows his subject. So I thought it'd be really interesting to speak to somebody who has a really in-depth understanding of their subject. And Neil's been writing about it, researching it for over 40 years now. So it'll be very interesting to hear what he has to say. Hello, Neil.